0: Wild courage exists to galvanize a generation of men. With the tools and courage to fight for what matters most. And tell the stories that are born in the redemption of lives and souls. Yeah, you call it divine providence or whatever, Jeremy. You know, I'd actually read in the Bible, in James, where it says that whoever and by then I was kind of, you know, following God and reading the Bible and asking for help. So I honestly believe I would have never had all these opportunities had I not. Had I not started to seek God, because uh, then things started to open up for me, because there it, it, it really came a time into my life when nothing was working. I was drinking too much. I was living beyond my means and getting to play polo and, and, you know, do the thing. But, uh, I was just running into, uh, myself again, I guess, you know, my self-destructive patterns, which were getting in the way. And again, I, I had to look at myself and say, this is, this is not working. This is not right. And, and that's when I had to make another decision, just like leave and, my friends in Colorado to go to Wyoming, I had to leave those friends and that influence. So I hunted up a church and I, I really found a church that really would, uh, I loved and I I started hooking up with them and, and learning the Bible and uh, hearing, beginning to hear from God again and and uh, walking in the spirit. So I like to say that because I never forget. I, I asked God. I read, uh, I read where it said, in James, A he who lacks wisdom, let him ask from God, who gives generously to anyone without finding fault. And it, that's an amazing verse because you know God doesn't look at us and find fault in us, so he doesn't give us wisdom. He looks at us, and if we'll ask, he'll give it, and he doesn't find fault. And at that time, you know, I knew I had a lot of faults, but I asked him, I said, God, you know all about the horse. You created him. I'm asking you for wisdom on training horses, because I knew that I was falling short in a lot of ways. I get frustrated, and I get angry, and then I, you know, do things to the horse." out of frustration that I knew were wrong, trying to get what I didn't know how to get. And of course the pressure's on always to sell, you know, you gotta make a living, you gotta sell the horses. And so the pressure's on uh, constantly on you to make that dollar. And so out of frustration, I did things that were really wrong. I mean, abusive even to horses. So like I said, I was starting to seek and ask and look. And and that's when Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance really came into my life. Were mm. you know, in California? I'm, I was in California. In mm-hmm. Indio? I was in Indio. And that's when I went to Ray Hunt's clinic. And then, you know, I, and the same deal, you know, I had met uh, Martin Black just out of accident. I mean, nobody introduced me. to. I drove into the wine cup. Martin comes out. I, you know, when we, we meet and I said, you know, I got this, I had a semi load of horses. I had I think, 14 horses on my trailer and, and I asked if any chance I could overnight with here. And, and, uh, so I, he let me put my horses up for the night. We got acquainted and, uh, ended up, I used to stop there a lot and we ended up doing a horse deal together and Martin Rent, uh, I would buy brood mares. I had two studs and about 30 brood mares and they ran them on the wine cup on the outskirts of the where the cows could be. And and I kept the fillies and Martin kept the gildings. And so and I'd get to go there and and, and get to brand with them or cowboy, or, oh, you wow. know, it, just being around guys like uh well Martin and you know some of his the people that he had around him that were really good hands that I admired. And, and I didn't realize that there was a, there was a connection between California and, uh, and Nevada. And <clears throat> so I remember asking Martin, I wanted somebody to work for me. That was a really good cult starter. Cause I had an opportunity to start a, like a bunch of these Argentine cults. And Martin, he said, uh, well, Tinky Lordi is the best cold starter I know. And so I called Tink and Tink went to work for me. And and that's really what helped me because Tink had been around Tom a lot and was really close to him and Tink and his wife. And uh, so they they probably were as close to Tom Dorrance as anybody. And then Tom came and did a clinic at my place because of Tink and Tom did. And uh, so that's how, you know, I was just really blessed to get even around these guys that were so good and uh, beyond me. But I just I craved it, you know, but I honestly believe and know in my heart that it was the answer to my prayer. Mm-hmm. For wisdom, and God brought these people across my path, and I'll never forget the end of a clinic. And Tom did some, you know, it was a great time. And Tom did some poems, and uh, and I I remember handing him a little book on on uh, salvation. And I said, Tom, you you've you've shared your wisdom. I want to share this with you. And I gave him a little book. I don't know if he ever read it, he, but Tom being like he was, he was very honoring. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he ended up coming every winter down there and spending wow. the winter right there. Did you,
1: did you, did you, with riding with Tom and, and Ray and Tink, did, did you see, cause nobody else in the polo game was probably, on to this line of horsemanship, right? So you were really the tip of the spear in the polo world of introducing this method of training into the polo world. Did you see immediate uh, improvements with your young horses and, and how they handled the pressure of playing polo? Because when I worked for you, we just stick and bald because you were still riding, you know, we were still riding some polo, ponies and starting some colts. And I mean, that's a lot of pressure for them horses to be under at speed. When you think about our Western disciplines and reining and cow horse and cutting, like it's speed, but it's not like polo. I mean, they're under constant pressure. So I guess my question is, did, did the influence of Tom and Ray, did you see that really leaking into your horse program for the polo world? And, and was it a noticeable, change in how your horses rode and and were satisfied in their
0: job oh totally jeremy it changed everything it totally changed everything and but it took me a while to you know to shift everything over but i i guess you know i was that kind of a person that just i just threw it all away and went right after it so i basically started selling all my tack that i had saved up that was all about i call it force fear intimidation repetition you know make them do it i stopped using draw reins i stopped the tie down and i just started riding in either a snaffle bit or sometimes even a halter and people would see me i'd be out sticking balling with a you know a string around my horse's neck (laughs) and and they they some of the you know good horsemen there that were even mentors of mine like they said what's wrong with you you know you put a bridle on that thing you know put put the tie down on him you know and they they didn't accept it at all and uh, I remember I invited a bunch (laughs) of them to Tom Dorrance's clinic we were hosting it so I could have people come for free and I I told them come watch and they showed up for a little while and they like oh we know all this and left yeah They they weren't there an hour yeah and there, there were people like you know Buck Brandeman was there, and you know uh, Martin was there. They, these guys, had flown or driven uh, clear across the country to be at a, to be at Tom's clinic, and these these people right down you know ten miles away, and they and and like oh we've seen all this, and it didn't change anything for them, but it changed everything for me. Did you know notice- what happened? Is- I, I learned that horses need that freedom and yeah. they it's, you know, the whole philosophy is it is the opposite of what we were doing because we yeah. would, we forced the horse into a, a frame and we'd make him, you know, go into the game when he was a, afraid and, you know, it was just such a struggle. And so as I learned how to apply the, the, the whole philosophy of natural horsemanship, I guess you, whoever you want to call it, uh, it, my horses changed completely. And what, what made them different was, you know, I could put people when I sold my horses, I could put people that were not good riders and that's, they're the ones that paid the big bucks because they were not good horsemen, but they could afford to buy a horse. Yeah. Well, my horses were forgiving because they always knew that they could search for a release. And they'd find a release uh, from the pressure. And uh, my horses really began to, my prices, you know, started to really go up. I sold some horses that were really good, ended up playing high-go polo. And some of them went on to be famous. I raised this uh, one colt on the wine cup branch there in Nevada that ended up being famous. Her name was Maple Leaf, and they were going to clone her uh, because she was so good and she was worth probably, I don't know, $250,000. Wow. So, yeah. So, so so
1: this really started changing. Like at this point you're playing polo professionally, people are paying you to be on their teams. You're, you're rising up in the rankings as far as, as far as your handicap and, uh, what goal you were. You're, Mm. you're getting around some of the, I mean, in our culture, the best horsemen there in the world and there hasn't been any better since really, or before them. So like the really the right place at the right time. And you're introducing something into a world and you got to capture the, the upside of all that by selling these horses for more than you ever were able to before how in all of this process, like um, you're learning a lot about yourself, right. About, about anger management and like, um, cause really it is that mirror thing, right. Of like, I having a bad day, I take it on my horse cause of my emotions. So you're learning how to deal with that. Where's your marriage at at this point, when you're finding all this harmony with your horses and your horsemanship and you're not making $450 a month anymore. Like I, I assume with the notoriety and selling the horses for more, like, you know, the spoils come with that. And how does that affect and start changing you and your your marriage, if at all? Or is it just getting better?
0: Well, it was still a bit of a roller coaster. You know, uh, I had a great job with Bill. I was making uh, 50 grand a month just to play. And then he let me carry all my, he carried all my horse's expense. So I was selling at least another 50 hundred thousand dollars worth of horses a year. And, and, uh, you know, we were, we were walking with God, going to church. Uh, we'd learned how to tithe and even, you know, give offerings and sow into God's work. And, and literally the Lord just blessed us. You know, we were just, every year we'd make more money and things would get better. Uh, we won like the national tournament, which was the biggest tournament, the national president's cup. It'd be like, Went in the national finals rodeo. And oh, your so polo that, that team did?
1: A, what's the, polo, the polo team you were on won the Super Bowl of Polo?
0: Yeah, and and it was the national presence. I won the US wow. Open, which is probably, you know, higher goal polo, but this was considered like the the Super Bowl of the yeah. medium go polo that I played. And, uh, it, and it and it was great we were an underrated team that's all in my book it's pretty neat how how god just you know you you learn to see god's stories and he takes the davids and whips the goliaths and you know you see he takes something that is someone or something that is small and and turns it great and and that's what happened to us in that that was a incredible story. We we were so underdogs and we were behind five to enough and then going in the last period, I think, and or the last half. And uh and we won in overtime. And you know, you just rise to the top. It it was all God. I, and I have to, it's not I don't want that to be a religious thing, you know, like, oh, I give credit to God. Yeah, I give credit to God, but it really was God. I mean, so much of that. And and, um, you cannot deny that, that he was just channeling me toward my destiny as long as I sought him. And, you know, that scripture that says that that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Mm -hmm. He really is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And I was diligently seeking the Lord at that time. Uh, but then, you know, I, we went through some trials. I went on my own and mar- the market kind of crashed. The economy had a lot to do with polo because, you sure. know, a lot of the, you know, the economy crashed. And so we went through a tough time. I had 40 head of horses and, uh, you know, if you're not selling horses constantly, You're not paying all the bills because the bills are really high in California and then all your public expenses. So uh, I went through a time there where just nothing went wrong, went right. And I was doing everything that was right. So I didn't understand it. It was like a three year famine Mm. and I'd get a horse ready to sell and it crippled. I'd get, you know, another thing ready and something else would go wrong. And and literally, I saw all of my money go down to nothing, went into debt and, uh, you know, was still, you know, believing that God was going to deliver us. But after a while, it's like, you know, I'm going, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I'll never forget. Like, why have you forsaken me? Right. You know, everything, I, I'm doing the right stuff. You know, I'm going to church. I was serving. I uh, was doing all the right stuff. And, you know, we're giving money toward the work of God. And and uh, But things just went south. And it, it was just a, t- a testing time because, you know, I had kind of found out that, you know, God he's not like a credit card yeah <laughs> yeah and, yeah. and uh, so he was teaching me a lesson and and my wife too and because she was with me and on this and it really you know when that kind of pressure's on you the real you comes out or what's in you starts to come out and and uh, we struggled
1: did it strengthen but, your marriage or did it pull you or did it make your marriage harder
0: uh it made our marriage harder she began to get angry angry at god you know where is this it's not working you know um and i would i remember because i was the stronger one you know in in faith because she didn't grow up with it at all she was kind of coming along and you know i was trying to be the spiritual head and and saying, you know, God will come through, we'll be all right. But we you really, we went down to nothing so far that we were selling our furniture just to feed the horses. We couldn't afford it. Uh, but that's when, you know, the supply of things that God's faithfulness came in. A friend said, came to us, not a friend, just kind of a, another Christian player, trainer said, I just feel like God says, uh, he wants me to give you, you know, $2,500 to buy some hay. And so that, and it, that's humbling. Another guy, you know, getting two grand and just to help me out. And, you know, God used people, but it's so humbling because you're the one in need and somebody else is meeting your need and taking care of you. Yeah. And so it was, it was very humbling. And, uh, the marriage was really rocky at that time, you know, I had a little girl, but we were, we were trying to hang in there and do the right thing. Just remind me of you and Mary, you know, you, everything was wrong, but you were, you were trying to hang in there. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was a tough time. And I remember, I remember going, I needed horses so I would buy horses at the this uh, killer buyer in Chino, California. It was the biggest killer buyer in California. And he had, sometimes he had hundreds of horses. And I'd go sift through them horses and you could buy them for $50 over killers. So I bought this little mare uh, that was skinny and her feet were all growed out. And she was wild and she, you know she's just in with this pen of dinks but but I saw something in her so I gave him 350 bucks for her, and I took her home and I turned her in the round pen and I I uh I let her uh I started doing you know the round pen thing and and I was still kind of learning about it you know we all thought that was so amazing but so I was kind of working at it and you know, she was scared to death of me. And here I had rescued her, saved her life, but she didn't want anything to do with me. And I worked her and then I just kind of dropped down on my knees. And, uh, and it wasn't because I was trying to get her to do anything. I was just, you know, in a bad place in my life and marriage again. And I'll never forget, she just came and dropped her head and came in to me and put her head like on my head and breathed into my nostrils. And that's why I do what I do. And, you know, I felt God so clear speak to me. And he said, Son, this is how I train my children. Mm. And, you know, I it was a, it was a aha God moment. You know, I was there on my knees and she was had her head down. And, and I realized that it's exactly how we are. You know, we're scared of God. We run around the world. We have our head looking out like a horse does. It won't even acknowledge him and until things get so bad that there's nowhere else to look and nothing's working. And finally we take, you know, a look. And because there's nothing else. Thinking that, you know, we're going to get captured and we're going to get forced to be a Christian, you know, or be something that we're, we don't believe we are or don't want to be. And it, it's like the whole thing unfolded to me right there. And I realized, you know, that God was trying to teach me something in all this. And that's really where it all stemmed from, Jeremy. And I, you know, out of that, I started doing a little, uh, just working with colts in the round pen for kids, you know, church kids from the church or I- anybody that wanted to watch. And uh, it, it really, uh, people just started wanting to watch me work with a horse. And uh, and that's kind of where, you know, my ministry, if you want to call it that uh, my destiny has has been. that was like the beginning of it. But you could, I could just see, you know, over my life, the people that he's put me in touch with and that I've got to be around. And it was no coincidence. It's just it's just my destiny.
1: Well the the beautiful thing about all of that is that it's so parallel to my life and the role that that you and Jane got to play in my life um it's just really cool how it all comes back like you 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 go out and s- seek and you find you knock and he answers and he puts people in our path because he's so, God's so relational that he doesn't want us to do, go on this journey alone. And, and even just with him alone, like, that's what amazes me about your journey and my journey and so many others is he uses us, each other to help each other on our journey. like. If it was just me and God, I wouldn't be here. He he puts people in our life in our path to relationally help us walk out our salvation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's pretty cool to see that full circle that you walk you say yes to this narrow path and you find others who are on the same narrow path and you get to help them along in their journey, like you've chosen to do for so many, but it it's really started with, with you choosing to go on this narrow path. Even, I mean, look at, even in your story with taking this this style of horsemanship into the polo world that nobody else was doing that your peers were scoffing at and, and saying they either knew it or like, you're crazy. Like that's, that's uh, pun intended. That's wild courage. It takes wild courage to, to stand out from the crowd and to have the courage to say, man, I just don't want the status quo and I don't care what it costs me. And that's what I've seen you do in your life and with your life and help me and so many others. Um, So it's pretty incredible. But um, so you have this epiphany in the round pen and it really starts setting the stage for what you do now but there's still more to your story as in the heartache and the easy times weren't over. Right. So many people say yes to God and then they want him to be like you said, a credit card and they want it to be no more hard times. Right. Mm -hmm. They think, well, it's great. I'll, I'll serve this God as long as everything's cool. Mm -hmm. And as long as nothing goes sideways, but the testing of our faith, right that's where where you have to uh make a choice because he's not a puppet master he's not a god in control of everything making you decide and choose he gave us free will and unfortunately sometimes the 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 good side of that is we get to choose and the bad side of it is we can't control what other people choose right and and we don't have control of other other people's choices and decisions and that can lead to heartache sometimes, which is is some things happened after this in your life that caused you a lot of pain.
0: Oh yeah. Without pressure, we don't grow, you know. And you never you think about it, you never know where a young horse is until you take him out to do a job and you find oh, out that's true. You know, you think about when the cows, you know, the the calves start breaking and you're on a young horse and and you know that you start putting too much pressure on that horse. Uh, You can't, for one thing, trying to get the job done and he's not ready. So if you put too much pressure on him, you're really going to put some spots in him, you know, or ruin him. So you have to prioritize the horse always over the job, you know, because it's the rest of the horse's life, you know, it's just, a, you know, you can always start again on a better horse, you know, but sometimes our pride gets in the way and it did me so often. And, uh, you know, uh, during this, during this difficult time, of three years of famine, uh, you know, what happened is I finally, uh, a guy offered, just came in and he offered me Well, I got to tell you this, what happened first, because the purpose of the testing and the drought for three years was to get me to a place where I really did trust God. And what happened is uh, the turmoil that's in you and the frustration and even the anger, you know, has to come to a head. And it, it finally did to where, you know, I was reading in James where it says, count it all joy. When when you're trying the different temptations for the trying your faith works patience and patience has its perfect work so that you may be perfect and entire lacking nothing. Well, the lacking nothing wasn't about having money. uh, The lack of nothing was what I came to realize. And it was just a revelation at that time. God had me study in that in James. And, and the revelation was, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You have in him is everything you need. So you are perfect and complete, lacking nothing in him. And so it, it's like all of a sudden I like entered into this rest. And that's that I found out later that that is so scriptural that the people of God enter into his rest where you have perfect peace. And uh, no matter the, the situation or circumstances around you, you are in perfect peace because you're perfect and entire, lacking nothing, and you you have this rest in God. I think it's you might call it perfect trust, and you're just okay. It doesn't matter. So I entered into that, and it's like the greatest peace came over me that I'd ever experienced. And about two weeks later, it came over Rocky. It's like she was in such turmoil and, and about two weeks later, she just like threw her hands and we came to the place where we just said, well, it doesn't matter if we're on the street, go back to st- picking stalls, you know, it doesn't matter. We're, we're in him. And uh, it was a rest that just changed our souls. And as soon as that happened, a guy calls me, he offers to buy all my horses Give me a check for fifty grand, gets out of debt, offers me a great job, playing polo in Kansas City, and so I I go out there. But Lockie didn't want to go. She she should have actually went with me, and she was just feisty, and she didn't want to go, and she stayed. And so I was out there on my own for two months, and uh, you know it's not a smart thing to do for a marriage and I ended up having an affair oh,
1: man. with a
0: girl. Yep. Uh, you know, that just f- f- seduced me. And, uh, you know, when you're, you know, y- y- when you're in a certain place in, in life and, you know, women come after you, it's, you better guard yourself and I was not wise and I didn't guard myself and, and, uh, you know, God gave me the opportunity to escape that temptation and I didn't, and I fell right into it. And so then when I came home, you know, of course it came out, you can't hide stuff like that. And then it just, it threw our, our marriage into a complete real turmoil. (laughs) So it was a, complete moral failure on my part and uh you know i felt like i had ruined everything so i discovered a new a new realm of grace in that because i I
1: think it's important uh, uh thank you for your vulnerability and your courage in sharing that part of your story because I think it's important. It, it, it seems like the way you were tracking in this new peace that you felt and, and your walk with the Lord, it's, 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 a it's amazing that this, this broken world that we live in, right. That something like that could happen. I mean, the, the paragraph, the sentence before, you told us what you just did was like you guys were walking in this peace like god showed up for you in this way financially and yet this thing still happened like again this is such a journey this this journey of faith isn't something you ever arrive on and then you have to you can let your guard down like oh i'm good i made it because you were there you guys in your marriage like had found some resolve and some peace and then this this thing happened and 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 it just shows you that like anything in life it's 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 a journey and and it's it's a marathon and and you don't ever get there you don't ever arrive like i would imagine that was so humbling after feeling this peace and with god and with your wife and then for this to happen and and the the feeling of shame that you probably felt was devastating
0: oh yeah terrible terrible uh the the shame of that yeah yeah and it's um you know the problem is i didn't have mentors i didn't have accountability you know that i was with so uh and that's a that's a big problem in in christianity today you know it's just accountability and mentorship really and if i would have you know i i I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have left her, or she would have come with me if we'd had some different, decent counseling, because she was still working in the church, she was doing music, she was leading the worship team at church, she was, you know, so she didn't want to leave all that. And but here financially that, you know, it was an opportunity. So, you know, I kind of set myself up for failure, but didn't even know it. Yeah, you know. And uh, and even I tried, you know, I got out there and I thought, well, I'm going to really do something out here, you know, and and pride goes before fall. And, you know, I've 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 fallen to pride more than once in my life. And, you know, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, you know, when you start getting proud, you don't even know it. And uh, but you lose the grace because you think you're strong. And and that was the
1: key to what you're saying uh, is what I'm hearing you say is something that, that me and the tribe of men that are, are trying to walk out this wild courage uh, men's uh, thing is, is that it's of accountability. Every man that I know that's had an affair said the same thing. They said, if I, if I'd had men in my life, if I'd have had some accountability, I don't think it would have happened. And that's why we find it so powerful. Like last night we had a wild courage night here in my barn and, and just guys being vulnerable and accountable and, and, and even being honest about where they're at in their marriage. Like, man, I haven't had sex in three months and guys that have gone before them sharing with them how they're disconnected from their wife's heart. It's all heading this stuff off as my point, right. Of like, If men could get together in humility right, and and not talk about what they do for a living and how great they are and submit themselves to each other in this way, we're finding so much fruit in it of like, you can really talk through real life struggles and get help and, and have people that have gone before you that have struggled with this to avoid these type of things. So I just think it's noteworthy to... To mention that, like I said, and everybody I've talked to the time of affairs, like I was on an island. I didn't have any men in my life. I didn't have anybody that I was being accountable to or submitting myself to outside of the church, which the I I, I can beat up the church sometimes, I don't, and that's not what this is about, but it's not set up for that. It's set up for Sunday morning. And we need more than that. We need more than the four walls of a church to create of a sense of brotherhood and a tribe of men to fight for one another and for purity and for their relationships and their marriages. And it just seems like so many times that not having this, it leads to these kinds of things. So yeah, it's, it's tough to be on your own in this marriage is hard enough with just you and your wife to not have a support group of guys that you can, you know, trust with your shortcomings and be humble with, and, and people that are further down the road than you that can give you advice is, I think, vital to any healthy relationship.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and you, you know, you mentioned sex, you know, it's such a part of the man. And, uh, you know, we need that. And uh, when you don't have it, you're, you're, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure if you're married. I don't know how young men do it. Uh, it's 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 a it's a struggle. You know, sometimes I have to ask God, why did you make it so hard? I mean, you look at a, a bull elk will run into a, a, a bugling. You know, he'll run in and get shot with an arrow. Because he's got his mind on nothing but sex. And so it, it's a problem. It, it was all through the Bible. You look at David. You know oh, yeah. what happened to him, and the downfall. But uh, it it does set us up, you know, for a, a repentance. Uh, but God does meet that need, and I I really have found out that you know if you want to do things God way, He'll make a way for you to uh, to overcome every Sin and every down downfall, every weakness, even or in your weakness, he provides the escape, you know. But when you're ignorant of these things, uh, you know, you just you don't know. So you fall into the enemy's trap. And everything was great as long as we were going to church. And, you know, we, we weren't just going to church on Sunday. We were involved. And so we had accountability, we had Christian friends, you know, our marriage was finally really getting good. And then I go off, you know, and have an affair, and and that just wrecked everything. And uh, your marriage never recovered. It never really recovered. I mean, we were married several years after that. Came to Wyoming, but she never forgave me. Sure. Uh, you know, and the problem is with that, she would bring it up, and then you know, until leverage yeah leverage and and it hurt it hurt everything but we were you know kind of trying to get back on going and then uh, she ended up having an affair (laughs) she she was doing music and ran off with the guy and he was married they were playing music together same deal no accountability going off you know without your mate setting yourself up for failure I saw it was wrong, and I told her, this is not wise. You shouldn't do this. Go traveling, you know, with another guy. Oh, he's married. You know, he would never do that. Well, they did, and they had an affair. And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, she wants a divorce. And so it just wrecked everything again. Of course, we're back in Wyoming. That's jumped several, you know, ahead. But it's it's this whole journey of trying to follow God but failing you know, but failure to God, I mean, I want to say this to anybody out there, is failure to God is just finding out what doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> you know, hit that's where the redemption comes in. And, you know, we judge, we judge preachers that fall into sin and we judge other Christians as like, we see them. And that stumbles us. And, you know, it's such a bad thing, especially here in America. You know, it's why we don't want anything to do it. But part of your journey is, you know, you're going to fail. And uh, if you can't, if you can't just believe that God loves you, even in your failures, and he's not done with you, he's not going to throw you away, that uh, that he has a plan of redemption, even though you blew it, then you, you're going to quit. You're going to go put your nose in a bottle or drug or your work or and, and be miserable for the rest of your life. Because uh, you think you've blown it, you think you've ruined your life, you think you've done the wrong things, or things have gone south. But God, he's always there His mercy endures forever. And all we have to do is come back to him. And uh, he he'll, he'll, he'll plan a, you know, put you on a brand new track, brand new track.
1: Yeah, I, somewhere along the line, we've convince ourselves that failure is final, mm. I, I was building some electric fence, uh, putting up some electric fence with my oldest son a week or so ago. And I was having him nail in the 16 penny nail uh, insulators, you know, that we're going to run the hot wire through. And he was really struggling to the point where he started getting upset and crying. He's 13. And I'm like, I'm ahead of him a ways, you know, string wire. And I'm like, what's going on? I go over and what's going He's like, I can't do it. And he's trying to hold the insulator and nail the, the, the nail in. And I just got down on my knees with him and I'm like, son, it's okay. This failure isn't final. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much pressure in our society that you can't make mistakes. We're so judged that... Mm-hmm. It feels final when we fail. And that's to what you're talking about on a different level. But it was such an opportunity to get on my hands and knees with my son and teach him a lesson about like this, this not failure isn't final. And how to fail forward and how to learn and how to grow and how to not have shame and not how to feel bad about yourself. And, and, and I'm like, no one's watching. I kept telling him that, like, no one's watching you. It's okay. If you miss, he hit himself and he was bleeding. I'm like, it's okay. If you miss this. And if it takes all day, we're in no hurry. No one's watching. It's okay to fail. It doesn't mean it's final. And, and somewhere in our culture and our society and in, in the church, I think, especially is, uh, we've we've adopted that philosophy for some for some reason right that like and for me it was like with when i was trying to quit drinking i'd like have a month and then i would drink and i'm like well i blew it it's over i failed so i might as well drink again today right and it's the same thing you're talking about it's like no it's not final and it's not forever it's learning how to to accept and not Go into self hatred mode if we do fail and we do blow it, and the stakes in which you're talking about are super high. Like it, 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 it ended up in in a divorce, which feels. I mean, that's you know that's as high as stakes as it gets almost. So overcoming that guilt and shame probably was a whole new journey you had to go on.
0: Oh, totally. And then you know, like, yeah, whether you're worthy and who are you to even. Uh, you know, tell somebody else about God because you blew it so bad. And that's it. You, yep. you deal with you deal with all those thoughts and emotion. You feel and, like an imposter. <laughs> yeah, and and once again, you know, it, we struggle with our identity. Our identities being in a, a cowboy or a good hand or mm-hmm. you know a horseman or you know I don't care a good plumber. Or I don't anything but but you know, when we discover their identity is in Christ, that we're loved by Father God, and just like you did with your son, you exemplified fathership to sonship as God does to us. Now, this is, see, you could have been like a lot of guys' dads, ah, oh, get over it, you know, hurry up, put your ball in, don't be a baby, yep. you know, And and you could have, you could have screwed his life up from then on. That would have never left him. Those words at that time in his heart was hurting. But you fathered me, and that you know, we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more our heavenly yeah. Father knows how to not just give gifts but father us. And it, it's just amazing to me that you know even today in my life, you know. Uh, how god he just he just loves us the way we are you know he made us this way and if if you got a problem with yourself you gotta like go to him like you know you created me this way (laughs) and it's not an excuse for being bad you know but he loves us so much that it doesn't matter if we're bad. He loves us anyway. Well, it, it, it I doesn't think it change. Yeah, a lot
1: of it we struggle with the thought of, for me anyway, unconditional love. Because it's like, well, if you really knew me, there's no way you could love me or like me, right? Yeah. So the self-loathing and the self-hatred and shame and self-condemnation really comes from a place of brokenness that it's hard to reconcile with the loving God, right? because i'm like how could he how could you and it's it's uh, it's this theory that i subscribe to of you, you can't give away what you don't have and you can't understand it right so if if when the bible says that you got to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself it's like i can't love my neighbor i don't even like myself that's a whole journey on its own Of like understanding unconditional love. If you hate yourself, you're not going to understand an unconditional love from anyone. Because the lenses in which you look at your own life and your own mistakes, if you're in self-hatred and suicidal, like I've been, like, how could possibly anybody love me, let alone a father I can't see, right? Love me so you really have to go on a deep diving journey again this narrow path of of finding self worth for yourself to even receive unconditional love and for me i think that's the journey that where it all really started was for me trying to reconcile that but it's not easy and and and, and i think that that's the hope in, in your in your message and what we're talking about is like look so yeah i just think that that's important for for people to understand is like somehow i think through religion that we we think that we've got to toe this unobtainable line that in order to receive unconditional love and forgiveness right that it's about following rules and it's really a not, it's really not that I've, I've found to be true. Um, But that's a whole nother journey in itself, but it's again, it's the narrow path that's there's fruit in it and it's obvious in your life and my life. But so F so, so Lockie and you Separate. I mean, she wants a divorce, so at some point, you you probably try to fight for that marriage. I would imagine, and then, uh, um, and you have Tara. You have this beautiful daughter who's probably what eight or ten years old at this eight time.
0: eight years old, eight yeah, eight years
1: old. Um, having been through not personally a divorce, but through parents that were went through lots of divorces, and just watching them from different ages as growing up of them getting married multiple times each like in the pain of that that's a whole nother level of guilt and shame that you probably have to have a talk with your eight-year-old daughter who probably has a pretty good understanding of what this looks like and that was probably painful to set her down
0: well that that wasn't even able to i wasn't able to do that till later on you know uh but you know, to have a little girl, and really, I just wouldn't give her a divorce if I didn't. You know, and I wasn't going to leave my kid. You know, and uh, so she just gave up her kid, and so I took my daughter to Colorado to my parents so they could help me. And you know, again, it was a tough time, and it, the hardest part was watching her cry every day. And say, why did this happen to us? I knew it happened to some of my friends, but I didn't think it could ever happen to us. And, you know, it's when you're you see your child cry themselves to sleep every night because you're divorced in your life. You know, it's really a terrible thing. It's so hard on kids and it's so common these days now. So. That was tough, and uh, all what I could what, do is... what would you
1: say right now to the the guy who's either going through or just has been through a do- divorce that's in that spot that you're in right now because I know there's guys out there that are feeling the way you felt right then what What would you say to give them hope in the midst of feeling like they you know blew it and 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 they're getting divorced right now? And have well if
0: it's, it's already done, I, I i would say to them if you're not divorced, uh ask God if you're supposed to get a divorce and and then listen. And then you know, if he's if he says don't give up, then don't give up because he can he can turn it around like he did you yep. you and Mary. I mean, I i wouldn't have bet on you, and I you know I've counseled people, uh and look, look at the reward, Jeremy. And I never see what I see was people that do get divorced over a reason. Then they get married again. And then they have the same thing comes right back in their life again.
1: Yeah. The broken cycle. If you don't, if you don't do the work, it, it repeats itself every time.
0: Right. It will. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's just going to happen again. And then pretty soon, like Jane said, she was married twice, and and what she she realized that you know what this isn't about what they did wrong. This is about me. So what am I doing to uh, you so know I'm, cause I'm... my life to and me to put my two sons through two divorces and some really hard times. And so she, you know, did the personal work through Janice, who she started to pray for a labor to, to help her because she knew it's probably, you know, when you're pointing outwards, the fingers are really pointing, three, four fingers pointing you. And so you really the question is, what do what's wrong with me that I need to need help with? And yeah, ownership. Because, yeah, she took ownership and and, and then she got healing through counseling and, you know, uh, some very good, uh, uh, prophetic insight from people that are gifted in that. And, and so she was all healed up when she ran, you know, met me, but I was all pretty still really pretty screwed up. How
1: long did you stay in uh, Colorado?
0: Just a year, a year. Yeah. It was only a year. And uh, I wasn't doing good. Again, I was trying to do the right thing, raise my daughter right, had her in a Christian school, you know, trying to uh, go to church. Uh, You know, I I loved God and I knew that was the answer. But then, you know, I I got a relationship with this this woman and, you know, fell into sexual relationship with her. And uh, she was even in the church. You know, so again, the same thing started taking me down the toilet. Uh, and again, you beat yourself up and like, like, what good am I? I can't live this life. Yeah, shame. You no know, yeah. and shame and shame will always still keep you right in the toilet. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get out of the toilet that way. But, you know, I, I just see how God was with me through the whole time and his mercy And because I I had this relationship, and again, I was like, I really want to be married again. I'm not doing good single. I can't handle this single life. And so I really want, uh, you know, I need a godly woman to help me with it. So I got real serious with God, and I had been dating these two blondes, and they were, you know, uh, I thought I'd marry one of them, and probably, and I needed to make a decision between the two of them and and uh i got real serious with god one night and i said god i just i'm asking you because you know better than me i I need you to show me which one what woman because i i know it's the most important decision i'm going to make and in that night i had a dream and I had both those women were on both sides of me, one side and the other. But I was in the middle with a shorter brunette. She had a tint to her hair. Her name started with a J. And I didn't know who it was, but I was happy. And I knew that that God had shown me. I knew it was a God dream that he was directing me. So I knew it was neither of those two. And I knew there was one coming. And so about that time, uh, you know, Jane and I were friends. I didn't think it was Jane, but uh, she said, you know, that summer, she asked me if I'd come up and do a clinic and uh, she put it together. So I said, sure, it was getting hot in Colorado. And I went up and uh, did a clinic to do a clinic. And when I saw her, the first thing I said was, what'd you do to your hair? (laughs) And, you know, it's not something you tell a woman when you yeah. haven't see, seen him a long, <laughs> long time. time. And 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 so she said, well, I cut it and was trying to get it dyed, but they put too much red in it. And so wow. immediately, you know, I knew that she was the woman I saw in the dream. And so like that night, I'm staying over at. Her mother's house (laughs) upstairs. And I'm like, God, I need a word. And uh I opened my Bible, and like the my eyes fell right to the scripture in Proverbs where it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with the Lord. And I knew that it's like that jumped off the page, like a ramen word jumped off the page at me and said, yeah that's her and then you know I still kept it quiet because like whoa and uh you know it was confirmed later as we started to date but uh we were friends first and and we we had things the lord in common and we loved horses and and so she knew I mean she knew right away And she had prophetically, and I'd emphasize this to people, you know, God guides prophetically all the time. If you know how to watch the signs and God had showed her a man with a mustache and he was a man of the land. And and so she knew Well, we she waited seven years. Because she didn't date or nothing. I mean, she had guys hustling her all the time. Yeah, she 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 was waiting for God's person. And see, I asked and God showed me and, and he put us together. And honestly, you know, once, I mean, we were married in a month and, you know, we did, we decided we're going to do things right. We're not going to have sex. And we did. And, and, uh, we're going to do it God's way. That's all we said. We're going to do it God's way to the best we can. And I'm telling you what now we, we got married and I can't say that we were in love. We were good friends. But we knew it was God that He's putting in what God puts together, you know, no man can break up. And and uh, you know, we have had, we've been married 24 years now. Wow. it's, it's been the mom? most amazing marriage. uh, just you know, like the dream. I've been so happy with her and and I think she'd say she'd been happy with me and she We have had a supernatural marriage. And, you know, I, I'm careful what I say, but every part of the marriage, because God is in it is like the three, you know, it's just not the same sex outside of marriage is not, it's not satisfying and uh, it leaves you empty. It leaves you even, you know, not liking the person and it, it's it sex is a is a spiritual thing and uh, you know the bible says when you in corinthians when you you join yourself with your wife the two of you become one and then it says it says he who joins himself to the lord is one with him in spirit and i i'm just kind of coming to that revelation that you know when you when you bring God, God refuses to give you real happiness outside of him because he's your father and he wants you to be. He wants to be a part of your life. He's the one that wants to make you happy, fulfill your dreams. And and when we when we try to do it outside of that, he just doesn't let it happen. And, and you think about it, he's just being a good a good father. Because ultimately, we take ourselves down that pathway of destruction, and ultimately, we spend eternity in hell.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if, if, if the analogy would be, uh, if I wasn't a good father, I would let my kids eat ice cream for dinner every night. Yeah. That's what they want, right? Mm-hmm. If they had it up to their way, in mm-hmm. your analogy, mm-hmm. it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to let them eat ice cream every night because I'm a good father. And I can see things out in front of them that they don't yet see. And it's out of love. You said, you said something to me one time that I'll never forget. And you were talking about life. You were talking about dogs. You were talking about children in the context of horses. And you, you said to me that discipline without love is abuse and love without discipline is abuse. And I don't even know if you remember telling me that, but that has resonated with me so much in my life with horses and dogs and now with, with kids. Like, but it is that loving father thing you're talking about. Like there, if, if you see a parent that doesn't discipline their kids, it's because there's a lack of love there. Cause if you love them, they would discipline them. And I think that's kind of what you're, you're talking about a little bit right here is like, it's, they go hand in hand.
0: Yeah. You know, Hebrews 12 talks about that. And I've, I've used that in my demonstrations, you know, cause it says that, that God disciplines those he loves. He's treating you as a son. Yeah. That you're not a bastard. And so love, you know, and I say that in my demonstration, even for corporate, I said, you know, love without discipline is abuse, too, because you're creating a monster. Why would you not discipline your own son? Because the police will have to someday. It's because of love, you know. So, yeah, people are so afraid of abuse that they won't discipline. Well, you know, if you love your son, you're going to discipline him. When he needs it, when he's going down the wrong path, because he know it's self destructive. So the Lord does discipline us, and and we should not despise it. He said, despise not the Lord's discipline. And you know, people have a hard time with that. They think of God as a punisher for your sins. God is not a punisher. He doesn't punish his children. I don't believe that. There there will be a punishment for those that reject, you know, the ultimate God's son because of the sacrifice, but. God disciplines those he loves and uh, because he's being a father. So we've, I like to tell people, think of this, you know, when your horse is being, uh, uh, you know, bad, do you let him be bad? No, you discipline him. You you spank his ass if he needs it. You know, you do, you do it in a right way, but you do do it. uh, To show him what's right and, and what's what what's okay you know you don't tolerate rude behavior the, the well, problem think about
1: that yeah the problem is that. is 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 with kids and horses and dogs the same level of um discipline is different with everyone and i think that's where people get in trouble right because some horses some kids some dogs are so sensitive that It doesn't require the same amount. That was one of the biggest things I learned from you too, was I kind of had, everything had to fit in my system. Every horse, every dog, every relationship had to fit in the system that I built. And there was no feel about it, right? There was no like, if a horse acted this way, he got the same discipline, whether he was sensitive or not, whether he was a thoroughbred or whether he was a doled out core horse, right? Mm-hmm. and and that's so much of what we're talking about also and especially with my three sons they all require a different discipline one of my sons doesn't get spanked it doesn't work it doesn't mean anything take away the stupid ipad or tv for 20 minutes and you'd think that i'd beat on him for two hours so i think it's important to note that when we're talking about discipline it's not always like a physical mm-hmm. presence you know and even with horses like just confinement or stop moving your feet is like a discipline to them. It doesn't mean a good old fashioned ass whooping, you know, but that's part of the figuring this all out. Right.
0: It is. I mean, you think of a Navy SEAL or what they go through, that's discipline, you know, just discipline the flesh and make you go through all that they go through. And uh, my time of famine, my three years, that was discipline. I wasn't, it wasn't, because it wasn't a consequence of me sinning. I was doing all the right things. Yeah. You know, but but I needed a lesson. So discipline can be like, you know, even hardship. That's what he says. Consider hardship as discipline. Because you really learn to trust in the Lord and 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 come to understand for God who he really is, and not our preconceived idea through religion or our parents or. You know, that's the, our our identity of God. is like it's it's fashioned by how we were raised and, you know, what we've seen. And, you know, we, we don't really know God through that. We have to come to know God personally through uh experience. But just knowing that he is like the perfect trainer and he doesn't do it to make slaves out of it. He does it to make. Uh, uh, you know, our children make us as children to grow up and to become mature and to freedom. You know, yeah. It's I, yeah, my, it's, it's,
1: I always tell people one of my favorite scriptures is where the where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because that's the opposite of the religious system in which I grew up in was anything but freedom, and my the ways of training horses. Was confinement and will. I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you into submission, right? And what I learned from you was turning loose, which is what you learned, you know, of of freedom with with horses and letting them go and not putting tie downs on them, constraining them. And I feel like that's been my relationship with God too. Is like I've just experienced new levels of freedom with them.
0: You do, but you think about it, you know, the, the horse that's green and scared or what you give him a lot of room, a lot of freedom to move his feet, you know, to explore, to make mistakes. Even the young horse that you're riding out, he'll, he'll wander all over and you, you give him a lot of room, you know and it's like that two boundaries they come between and and you, you give him a lot of room to play in there. But basically you're bringing the structure in more and more, So they'll center up between your hands and your legs. For sure. You know, that's, that's what the finished horse is. The bridal horse, he's, he's centered up straight between your hands and your legs, but he's not all tight and scared and needs to go somewhere. He's comfortable. He trusts you. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about a, a finished bridal horse. The two of you are one. Yeah. And see, that's, to me, that's the relation that God is desiring, you know, to get us to eventually where we become one. And we are one with him in spirit. Like it said in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, we actually become one with him. So it's not the man and God, God out there and me here. It's like God coming in here, manifesting himself in us and through us as we yield to him. And then just like the horse yields, eventually yields to you in every part of his body and and that you become one. And that's God's goal and to where your thoughts are his thoughts, and his thoughts are your thoughts, and it's this partnership, and you actually really like who you are, because it's really fun, and it's an adventure, because God is not boring at all, I mean, you look at what he created, and it continues to create in the galaxies, and it goes on and on, that's the God that lives inside of us, and what he really wants of us, you know, he wants to take us on the greatest adventure of our life, take us beyond what we ever dreamed we could ever do ourselves. And
1: and, and you're living that out right now. Um, you know, like you're kind of backing up your story to jump back in there. You and Jane get married and go on this wild adventure of, I got to be there the first time we uh, set up the circus tent, which is where you started doing round pen demonstrations. And when the be- weather was bad, we'd start them Colts and ride them Mustangs in there next to the arena. And ultimately um, you ended up building a permanent structure on, on the other side of the road there in Moran. And I just remember when I worked for you guys, you guys talking about dreams and, and uh, you know, really partnering with God in your dreams. And to me, I thought, well, that's okay. They're a little kooky, but whatever. I love them. And I, and that's just my ignorance of not understanding what, what you're talking about. But I, my wife and I often think about and talk about dreams. And, and you guys are the epiphany of that manifesting in your lives. Like I look at the reality of what you guys are doing now. The things you were praying about and contending for 23 years ago, 20 years ago when I worked for you. And it's happening. And, it, and it's a, been a partnership, right? It didn't fall into your lap, but it started with doing this little type, tiny corporate event where somebody's like, hey, can we bring some people out to, could you put on a rodeo for us? And because you have such a beautiful spot of the Tetons there. And it turned into, hey, could you, man, could we get married at your place, right? And then it turned into more weddings and more people loving to see what you do with a horse in a corporate setting and relating it to relationships inside of of the work environment and that freedom we were talking about and emotion and dealing with that, that really you've carved out this little niche. That's so unique and it's turned into how you guys make a living and you're still riding horses and you turned into a, you know, you've started you know, we've had a lot of success showing cutters and cow horses and really honed in your skills there as a horseman. But for the most part, right? I mean, you're still riding horses, but your your business is really turned into more of of those things.
0: Yeah, it has. You know, it's amazing the people that we have had.
1: Yeah, I'd like match. for you to to share a little bit about how that like who what this has turned into i mean who, who are the people that have that have come that god has brought to your little tiny piece of the world and given you influence over
0: it's unreal you know i love this scripture i think it's in galatians that god God will do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or imagine. And and God has done that beyond my imagination. And I don't know why, you know, when God gives you favor, he gives you, gives you favor and it's, you don't, you can't even understand it. But there was a time in my life when I knew I had a message and I, I wanted to share it. I thought maybe, it would be through the mustangs because I had a whole thing going with the mustangs and the prisoners, and I, I really thought I'd be going into prisons and talking to prisoners and showing them, you know, because they have horses and mustangs and all that. <laughs> but God had a different plan, and you know, it was amazing. I was always kind of looking to to help the down and outer and uh, troubled people and all that. But but that wasn't God's plan, and He just started putting me in front of uh, corporate leaders, and you know, doing these uh, demos for corporations. And it, it, I think, I guess, it's because they're leaders in their own fields, and they really get it. Probably more than horse people do. You know, horse sure. the horse society is so opinionated, and they have their gurus, and they have what they believe, and and that's all fine, but this was a complete niche that that uh, you know I just fell into making a living. again, you know it was just looking for a, a good way to to uh, keep the ranch going and, and make some money but but uh, it was just word of mouth. And the, the people that have come here, uh, it's just 20, 20 some years of doing this it's just unreal we've had uh judges and uh congressmen and you know the federal reserve here three times but uh just corporate heads and just on and on and on and it's been amazing to me and uh i got to do like the national convention for del monte foods because the CEO of Del Monte he just loved what we did. We took him for a horseback ride, and he brought his people to the ranch. And so he he, he hired me to come to do their national convention. There were like ten billion dollar companies there, and and uh, you know they put us up in a suite looking over Pebble Pepp- Pepp- Uh, astronomical money for an hour demonstration mm. <laughs> and 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 treated us like kings for three days. Just things like that. I got to go back for uh, disney state new york and and been down in Fort Worth uh, for Intuit Corporation. And done extensive trainings with some of their leaders just using horses and showing, you know, leadership leading with feel. And uh, th- just the leadership principles that you learn from working with horses by using, you know, the philosophy that we do use to train horses. And uh, it's just amazing to me. And, you know, it's humbling because, you know, I think, well, who am I? You know, there's so many. Better horsemen than me and I've been working at my my whole life, but I you know I just feel like I, w- I wish I was better you know and there's so many that are better and more qualified. but I'm thankful that you know God has put me in the position and and it is it is uh, helping people and it does transform lives. it really does people get it you know it's it's a sermon, it's a parable that people see. And you don't have to tell them the meaning. They either get it or they don't. It's why Jesus spoke in parables, I think, is because some could hear and some couldn't. And it didn't run off those who didn't hear. They're still like, oh, that's a nice way to treat a horse. That was really interesting. While another person, you know, is, is relating it to his autistic child. And he comes over and he's crying. And he goes, what I just saw... Has changed everything in my life, and then mm. other uh, the the CEO of Intuit Corporation, multi billion dollar company, told me, you know, within uh, weeks he's already implementing some of the things that you that he learned. <laughs> not to mention all the leaders that he brought That's
1: in, so into great. their
0: company. Yeah, and it's like we'd like to take you here and do do this training because we got, we're starting this company in Boise. I did one in Boise. You helped me get some Colts for. So it's just the open doors is unreal. And I, I'm just, I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a hick with a high school education.
1: Well, that, <laughs> you know? that's the cool thing that, that I, I struggle with too, is sometimes the uh, imposter syndrome, right. Of like, I'm really not qualified to be doing anything. And I, I barely graduated high school and, you know, have these companies and I'm involved with that are, you know, somewhat successful and and leading this charge with wild courage and, and when I say leading like with my brothers i 'm doing it i 'm not um, leading it by myself, but it, it's like I can disqualify myself pretty quickly and that, and it's just pretty cool to know that um having the courage to even talk like that openly is like everybody feels that way. Somebody like you who I look up to so much as a horseman and what you 've taught me and what you're doing with the horse that I've never seen anybody else do. And you still feel that way. Like that's really, you know, just how we're all kind of where we're at. And and it's great that we can be open and honest and talk about it and realize, Oh, wow. We all feel that way. We're all in the same boat. We're all in this together and nobody feels like they've uh, got to figure it figured out. And that's how you keep learning and get better at your craft. And I, I, I love that the corporate stuff and the breakthrough, but I just think it's funny. And I know you guys don't care about this, but a few years ago, um, I was on uh, my MSN homepage or whatever. And I, I see this little thing on uh, on my homepage that said Kanye West release album in Wyoming. And I'm like, what? Like, I got to click on this because, you know, I've spent a lot of my life in Wyoming. And I click on it and it says, Kanye West releases his album party at the diamond cross ranch in Moran, Wyoming. (laughs) I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's happening. And they're talking about Chris rock and all these celebrities, the a-listers from all over the world that are flying in and bust out to the diamond cross ranch for Kanye West to release his album at the ranch where my wife and I got married. And I'm just like, of course he is. Of course he is. Because it goes back to that the dreaming you guys talked about, all these wild and crazy things 20 years ago that are happening. And then I loved calling you guys up and talking to Jane. And she's like, we don't even know who Kanye West is. We just knew they were going to pay us a lot of money to have a concert here. And it, you know, there's a whole long story that goes behind that. But I just, I just love that that's what's happening at this beautiful place you guys have built. How many weddings you guys doing there
0: this year? I think over forty this year.
1: Forty weddings, all these corporate mm-hmm. events. Um, yeah, I know you did Cowboy a- Church for years and years and years there, mm-hmm. and the seeds that you've planted, people come from all over the world to Jackson Hole, and they bring and and the, and the oftentimes they they come and they end up at the Diamond Cross Ranch in Moran, Wyoming, at this little place that you. Um, that you and Jane have fought for to keep going and your family's continuing to fight for with uh, the boys being involved and, and helping to take it to the, to the next level. Um, I I do tell I do tell people that I think that, you know, Kanye now is a, is a, a very outspoken Christian believer. And that transformation happened after he left there. And I tell people that, that because I know how you guys pray over your property that the Holy spirit Mm -hmm. jumped on him when he was at your guys's place. Um, But anyway, I just think it's amazing what you guys have done and what you're doing and the light that you share and the rock that you've become for so many, including myself that uh, um, I'm just eternally grateful for you and Jane. And, and I love that. I got to come spend a few days with you guys last summer and you and I, got to spend the day together and that was one of the highlights of my summer last year. And, um, you guys just mean, mean an awful lot to me and, and, uh, thank you for your message and thank you for spending some time with me today. Um, I, I would ask one more question. Um, and of course you can close however you'd like, but what, what's uh, one thing you would say to give hope to the, the hopeless man that's down and out grew, maybe grew up in the church, maybe didn't, doesn't matter. But what's the one thing that you cling to yet to this day that's your go-to when, when you feel like it's all caving in on, on, on top of you?
0: To do what I do every day, Jeremy, when I feel I've made a mistake, when I feel I've said the wrong thing, or I feel insecure, uh, I call on the name of Jesus and I just, uh, you know, he says all who call on the name of the Lord be saved, And it, it's not just salvation. It's like, saved there. Yeah. When, when you call on his name and he, and, uh, he's there. So, I, I mean, I did it this morning, just the insecurity. I have a corporate group tonight. I have some huge things coming. I got to do 300 people coming for a demo. I got to do on the grass. We're doing filming. I, I've already signed, you know, a thing to uh, possibly do some reality shows. I mean, this is so over me and beyond me uh, that uh, it's scary. You know, it, it literally is scary. So uh, today I just I called on the name of Jesus and and then ask Holy Spirit, because that's what he does is help. He's our helper. And I asked him for help. And so that calling in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, you cannot possibly live the Christian life. That's why he was sent. To us here on earth to help us to lead us into all truth, to show us things to come to be our helper, our teacher. And, you know, everything I tell people this, you know, if you if you lose your cell phone or your wallet or a tool in the grass and you're frustrated, stop and just ask the Holy Spirit to show you where it is. And then just listen, listen and, and do what comes to mind. I've found keys in the grass that I've lost and all that does, you know, it's a miracle. You know, it is. But what it does is it tells you that God's with you, that he's your helper. Or your your truck, I've had my truck break down on the road with a load of horses and out in the middle of nowhere. And like, what am I gonna do? I'm not a mechanic and I open the hood and I just ask God to help me. And like there's a wiring done, and like wonder if that's it, put it back, starts up, go. (laughs) Stuff like that. Yeah. Is it means so much to me because you know he's with you. And uh, he doesn't leave us or forsake us. You know, he's he's with us. So I I would say <laughs> that would probably what I would say. Yeah. And, and then be open. Be, be open when you ask the Holy Spirit. He said he gives the Holy Spirit to those that ask. So ask him to fill you with His Holy Spirit and to help you in life, and you will. And then be open to the gifts He gives you. The the gifts of the Holy Spirit are there to help us. The prophetic gifts. You know, Jane and I have leaned on the prophetic and, and have learned to listen to the prophetic because it's it's directed and channeled our life. And if you disregard that as something, you know, spooky or a thing of the past, you're going to miss out on really, you know, the, all the, the clear direction. So that's what I say. Don't make a religious thing. Talk to God every day.
1: Yeah, that's good. Well, again, thank you so much, and and uh, I wanted to point everybody. Grant has a book uh, that he wrote a few years ago that you can get on Amazon, um, I believe. Right? It's on Amazon. Yes, it's called mm-hmm. "Chasing a Dream: A Horse A Horseman's Memoir." Um, and I just I just hammered through it like in the last two days, and it's so great, and I it. Uh, I'm I'm glad that you took the time to write it and I know you have another I think another one in the works maybe and you just have so much going on with the with the TV stuff yeah, potentially and the book the new book and all your corporate stuff so that's why I'm just grateful for the the time you took um people can find you at www.ranchjacksonhole.com and on Instagram at diamondcrossranch.com so those are cool ways that people can follow, uh, follow you guys and see what's going on at the ranch. And, um, and if they're ever in Jackson to come check you guys out and if anybody wants to get married, I'm telling you, I don't know of a better place. Um, we were so blessed that you and Mary let us get married there. And, um, it's just a, an amazing special place where you guys live and what you do there. And, uh, again, I love you. Grant. you.